Hey family, it's your sister Jocelyn here, and welcome to another episode of Faith on the Journey. If this is your first time tuning in, we welcome you. We are so glad that you are here and want you to know that we're committed to helping you strengthen your faith, heal your heart, and discover a sense of community. And we do so through a variety of ways by connecting you with a team of Christian counselors who specialize in grief and trauma counseling. We also offer trauma healing groups throughout the year, and we equip churches to start trauma healing ministries. You can learn about these resources and so much more by visiting our website at faithonthejourney.org. Again, that is faithonthejourney.org. Now today we have a wonderful woman of God who is joining us, who's doing some great things for the kingdom, Donna Tashin is the founder of Vibrant Living International, a nonprofit organization. She is a life mastery coach, an ordained minister, a podcaster, and an author of over four books. And she produces a podcast called You Were Designed for Greatness. And we're so excited to have her on the show with us today. So welcome, Donna. Thank you. It is a pleasure, pleasure to be here today. Well, thank you for accepting our invitation. And I hear that you have a wonderful testimony to share. And so let's actually start there with the interview today. It sounds good. It is interesting when we begin to share the story of our beginnings and some of the things that have happened in our lives. And so I'd like to take you back to it was a hot day in July in Texas. And If you've ever been in Texas, July, there's nothing quite like that hot. And I, at the time of this story, was 15 years old. And I am standing in front of the bathroom mirror, looking at myself in the mirror with tears running down my eyes, my face, and saying, "It, it can't be. It can't. And I'm like, let me count again. One, two, three it's been four months since I had my period. I can't be pregnant. And the loss and the fear and the grief and the just utter overwhelmingly fear that I felt at that age, there isn't really words to describe. Four months prior, someone that had been close to our family had hurt me and I had become pregnant and didn't tell anyone. And the time frame that I grew up in, it wasn't okay no matter what your circumstances in the environment, in the community I was in, to be pregnant, it didn't matter why. And I grew up in a religious home and the idea of having to tell my parents this was enough to shake me to my core. To say that the next years I had a little girl and I did raise her on my own. So what to say that those years were hard uh, doesn't even cut it. All of the things when trauma happens, at least in my experience and the thousands of women that I work with, is there's so much feeling unlovable, unworthy, anger, resentment, bitterness, fear, and all of those emotions were all wrapped up. And I don't know if you remember when you were 15, but whatever we feel as an adult at 15, it's amplified like a million times. And so... My story is, how did I go from that scared little girl to where I am today? And it is has been a journey. One of the main things that brought me to where I am today is I, at a young age, I did develop a relationship with God. Now, this is the time when this happened was before internet. 
was before cell phones. My phone was still the phone on the wall with this with the cord attached. Yes. That's the time frame. And so my parents hid me. I was totally isolated. I had no one but God. And it was an awful time, but it was a foundational time that has caused me to develop a relationship with God like I maybe wouldn't have had otherwise. Wow. Yeah, that's real. And I think especially because it happened to you so young, there was a lot of fear, a lot of shame. And so talk a little bit more about that, because I'm sure it took time and a lot of work and a lot of prayer to release the shame. And we're talking about releasing baggage today on the show, you all. That's the title. And so talk about how you released the shame that you were carrying from that 15-year-old girl. Well, because I only had the books that I chose to read and my relationship with God was for my income, my, the, the influence into my life, I mean. So that was a big part of it. But it was definitely a journey. Every time I would go out on a date, and whether it's what I believed about myself or not, but before the end of the first date, I felt like I was fighting guys off. And this constant feeling of unworthiness. And I remember I had come to a decision that it wasn't worth it. And if it was just me and God and my little girl, we were going to do just fine. Before I was 17, I had graduated from high school and I was working full time and in my own apartment by the time I was 18. And, you know, I'm 18 with a three year old to give you a frame of reference with all of that. So, Learning to be able to uh, really believe differently about what I said and start to believe what God said about me. But one of the biggest differences is I met my future husband and he began to be a man of God that could teach me what love really looked like. I remember when I was on one of my dates, my mom, I'd come home and my mom said, so how do you feel about him? And I said, well, on the way home today from the movie, I fell asleep on his shoulder in the truck. Now, I would have never fallen asleep with anybody on any date ever. And so it was beginning to have him teach me, God use him to teach me what it meant to be loved. We've been married 38 years now. But one of the uh, jokes that we created was, is he'd say, honey, you look nice today. And I'd say, what? He goes, I love you. And I go, what? And I was saying it because I wanted to hear it. I needed to hear it more to really begin to believe that I was lovable. That's so precious. I love that. And and God knew who to send you. And I'm, I'm grateful. Congratulations on 38 years and many, many more years to come prayerfully. Uh, but in this process, God used your husband and was drawing himself near to you to help you to release the shame. Uh, what took place when you began to shift from working on yourself to beginning to help others? What was like the story in between to get you to this point? Well, I was always the girl. I have a feeling you probably were too. Uh, always the girl that people were telling you things and they say, I can't believe I'm telling you this. I was, I was always that girl. And I'm like, how do I get in these situations? <laughs> because I was, it, it, so it just felt like it continued to happen. As, as I became further along and had other children and was involved in church ministry and things like that, I did a lot with pastoral care and that kind of thing. So I just began to grow in it and learning how to not just be a good listener, but actually bring some resources to 
help it. So I have a few keys that helped me turn my baggage into luggage that just to say I trusted God just doesn't, it, I mean, it's a wonderful statement, but you're like, how do I do that? You know, it's like, how do I put handles on that? So one of the statements that I use all the time is understanding the scripture that says all things work together for my good. And one of the ways that I changed how I felt is I took God at his word. One of my scriptures when I was living alone in things is you promised your seed would not brag for bread. So I'm going to have food today because there were times I didn't know how I would be eating. So I applied God's word. And one of his, the ones that I did is everything will work for my good. I call it beginning to look for the gift in the adversity. Begin to look for the gift and the disappointment and the grief because God can turn things that seem there's no way into something that is good, our, our weeping and, and mourning into joy. And it isn't a cliche. I've walked it out and helped, you know, thousands of women to walk out of learning how to begin to look for the gift. I have a story that I'll illustrate it. It's a made up story, but it illustrates the example of beginning to look for the gift. Two kids were put in a room full of horse manure or some type of manure. And one little kid sits down and just begins to cry. My life is full of, you get the picture. And it's just like, you know, it smells, it stinks, it'll, it's awful, it's going to be worse. And, it, you know, my life's just full of it. And the other little kid knocks on the door and says, can I get a shovel? They said, yeah, why do you want a shovel? She said, well, this much poop in here, there's got to be a pony somewhere. <laughs> And so it's learning to be able to look for the gift and the idea that I begin to look for something good and something that's hard changes my perspective. I look up, I'm looking down the road. I'm looking with hope for the future, even if it's just a tiny glimpse of hope that it can be better and it changes our perspective. And when I quit looking at the ground in air, you know, in care quotes kind of thing, and I begin to look down the road, I see things differently. I receive things differently. Yeah, you do. Hey, faith leader. I hope you are enjoying today's broadcast. I'm interrupting today's show to let you know about an incredible resource. So if you are a pastor, ministry leader, or an active member of your church, listen up. As a part of our commitment to help the people of God heal and navigate the most difficult parts of their journey, we created a Trauma Healing Church Resource Guide. Now more than ever, your members have been impacted by trauma. Trauma disconnects people from themselves, others, and God. But this guide walks you through the steps your church can take to create a safe environment for your members to begin to reconnect, process, and heal from the painful events they've experienced. Whether you are interested in starting a lay counseling ministry, a support group, or you just need referral partners to send people to who've experienced trauma, this will be the perfect resource for you. Download your free guide at TraumaHealingChurch.com. Again, that's TraumaHealingChurch.com or click the link in the show notes. Now, let's get back to the show. 
you began to have this revelation for yourself and God was calling you to do this ministry. And now you are coaching, uh, you are a life coach and you also are a podcaster and there's a number of different things that you're doing. And so let's talk about some other practical things that you teach your clients around releasing the baggage. And also just a follow-up question as well. You say turning baggage into luggage. Did I get that correct? Is that like you're saying? Yeah. Can you explain that a little bit more, that that metaphor, and then talk about what you teach your clients? The baggage picture for me is a black garbage bag. <laughs> it's those stinky ones. That's what I think of the garbage. And some of the pain and things that we've, we've been dragging those bags around with us uh, for a while. And when the image I am painting of luggage is now I have my suitcase packed, I have my, my sun hat on and my sunglasses and I'm going somewhere good. And it is the complete challenge of taking what was awful and being able to turn it. That goes with step number one I'm talking about is there is something good that can come out of this. And a lot of times your life purpose and different things that you are you can answer because of what we've been through. One of the keys is forgiveness. It is a huge part of the whole process is learning to be able to forgive yourself and others. And this difference between letting go of that forgiveness is one of the most misunderstood parts of the whole process. So many times that we think that forgiveness means they have to be sorry. Forgiveness means that, that it means that I have to let them back in my life and trust them again. What have you heard people say about forgiveness? I've heard people say forgiveness is reconciliation, similar to yours. Um, forgive and forget, which if we have a memory, we're not going to forget. I've heard a, a, a number of things that were just unhealthy. Like if you don't forgive right away, then something's wrong with you. It's some toxic or unhealthy theology around forgiveness. Absolutely. And that's what I think is it's one of the most misunderstood processes that I've heard about is what forgiveness actually is. The analogy that God gave me is forgiveness is like an onion. And what I mean by that is where I am in the stage that I am is I forgive. I peel the onion and I cry, so to speak. And I move on through life and then it seems to show up again. And so many times we then beat ourselves up saying, well, I forgave that. But when the trauma is deep, it's layered. And that's okay that we did forgive to the ability we could when we did it previously, but learning to be able to forgive deeper, to get freer, to get more freedom. And so learning to be nice to yourself instead of getting all, I should have be over this by now kind of a feeling and just learn that sometimes it's a process. Healing is a process. We want to step into a magic booth and be all better. But so many times life and the journey of healing is a process of learning how to be ready to let it more and more go. That's something that's really been impactful for me. Yeah, we have to learn how to honor the process. There's been such teaching to try to rush us to the point of forgiveness. And yes, that's the end of destination that we're trying to head to. But if we try to skip through that process, it's going to hurt us in the long run. Absolutely. Because what we're actually doing is burying something alive. That's it. 
we're burying it alive. We're not actually hurting at all at, at healing at all through that kind of process. And one of the other um, areas that uh, other steps that I take people through in this program, and of course I am minute shortening all of this, <laughs> what it, what it is, but it is getting support. Whenever we're injured, there is a tendency to withdraw and to isolate. Now I have been in a room full of people all by myself, if that makes sense. It's like we can be in a crowd and still have the walls up, still have all of the isolation going on so that learning how to not DIY it, I should just be able to figure this out. It's like get support. We learn from people who have been down the path so that it doesn't have to be so hard. So getting support, getting help, uh, whatever that looks like for you, this podcast is a resource to get support. Books, my podcast is a resource. Counseling, coaching, therapy, whatever is a work for you. But let's be all that we can be, all that God created us to be and get free. So because Jesus came to set us free and the more that we know the truth about who he says we are and who we are, the more free we can be. Amen. That's it. And so for someone right now who is really almost holding on to the baggage, I, I led a group a couple of weeks ago and one of the participants in the group talked about how they're an emotional hoarder. They actually holding on to their baggage makes them feel safe and secure because it's familiar to them. For someone who is like wrestling with the idea of letting go, what advice would you offer them? One of the easiest ways for me when I'm going through that kind of process and helping others is think about the person that you want to be. Do you want to be the person who is stuck in the past, who is stuck in whatever happened, the anger, the fear, the resentment, and how will that play out for the people in your life? Is that who you want to be? Or do you want to be, because I did this, it's like one of the examples that I read it in Stephen Covey's book, How to Win Friends and Influence People. And I was probably in my 20s and it's chapter two and it's called Begin with the End in Mind. How do you want to be known? At the end of your life, how do you want to be described? Do you want to be described as angry and irritable and touchy and hard to be around and always going through a hard time and all of the things? Or I wanted the words I wanted to be is I wanted to be kind and loving and, and resilient, tenacious, all of those kinds. Of, so learning to be able to say, well, who do I want to be? And then what do I need to do to become the person I want to be? Because yes, the depression, anxiety, anger is kind of like a warm blanket. It's familiar, but it keeps, it's dark and it's lonely. So that is one of the pictures that I, exercises that I walk people through is who do you want to be and then choosing? You know, I think that's a great exercise. I'm putting myself in one of your client's shoes and just thinking about how sometimes it's hard for us to even have vision uh, because we're so kind of beat down. So in certain cases, getting to the point where you can even have vision for yourself is an obstacle. And in that case, what would you 
have someone do to help them to begin to form a vision for themselves outside of where they are right now? It's just working through that process because if I ask the question, do you want to be an angry, irritable woman or do you want to be a happy, easygoing, great relationships? I paint the picture. Which one do you want? And they're like, well, I don't want to be the angry woman. Well, if you keep doing what you're doing, I tend to be a little blunt. I don't know where, how you, how you, but I, <laughs> but I'll just go, how's that working for you? Right? <laughs> How's that working? We keep doing this old behavior that's re reactive to the dis the, the to whatever happened to us, and how's that working? It's not working. So I need to learn to how to do it something different. Yes, vision is the biggest thing. That's why I said lift up your eyes and look down the road with even a glimmer of hope. When we, if you were to drive your car down the road, looking in the rearview mirror, the whole way from your house to the nearest store. How well do you think you would get there? Not well, but we drive the car of our life looking in the rearview mirror, trying to avoid the trauma that happened to us while we stay stuck in it. And we wonder why we're stuck on the side of the road and we can't seem to get anywhere. We need to look out of the windshield, help get people around us that help us to create the vision. Because wherever our eyes go, the vision in our heart eyes, Wherever that goes, your actions will follow. So you are absolutely right on creating the vision is the hardest part to start with. But once you began, you can get to the dream that was there before that happened. That's great. That's good. And I also don't want to overlook what you said in terms of having people in our lives, our circle being an important part of the process to help us to be able to have vision. Because if you surround yourself with people who are constantly negative, who are, you know, yep. you know, speaking against your dream and what God's doing in your life, it's going to be very difficult to go to that next level in your walk. So community is important. Absolutely. So in terms of next steps for you and your ministry and what you're doing to help people, how can people get in touch with you? Um, the easiest way to find all the resources I have is on my website, and that is ivibrantliving.com. And what can they find there? You have some free resources, correct? On the homepage, there is a book called An Umbrella on a Sunny Day. And that book is, uh, the title came from, It's Sunny Outside? But I know sooner or later it's going to rain on me, so I should bring my umbrella. It's the idea of looking for something bad to happen, even when it's going well. It's that I don't know how to receive the good. And so this story is about my teenage pregnancy and some of the keys. There's four keys in the book that are different than I shared today that be able to help us so that we can enjoy the sunshine and being able to enjoy the good things in our life and create more of it. And so An Umbrella on a Sunny Day, it's a free book on the homepage. Be sure to grab a copy of that. And Donna, before, before you go, are there any final remarks or words of encouragement you would like to share with someone who has that umbrella on a sunny day or is going through a very dark time? What would you like to share with them? I want to be in a messenger of hope. You've heard my story and that there would be just a glimmer of hope that it's possible. It's possible to remove through. I mean, my life could turn completely different and it's possible to move through trauma and to 
move through loss and disappointment. I had all of those things. And there's hope. There's always hope. My podcast is called You Are Designed for Greatness. And when I began to create my podcast, I was asked, what's the main message you want women to know? You want people to know. And I want you to know that you were designed for greatness. You can check out that podcast as well. That's another free resource that you can take advantage of. It's an inspirational podcast. And I want you to begin to get a vision of where you would like to be, just a tiny glimpse of something that you would like. Get support, get help, so that you can be all that God created you to be and live vibrantly. Beautiful. Thank you so much, Donna. I'm so grateful to have you on the show with us today. My pleasure, Jocelyn. As always, thank you, Faith on the Journey community, for tuning into today's broadcast. I hope you were blessed by it. And if you are looking for additional resources, such as Christian counseling or a supportive group, please reach out to us or visit our website at faithonthejourney.org. Again, that is faithonthejourney.org. Also, if you enjoyed today's episode, be sure to leave a five-star review and share it with a friend. So that's it for this week, you all. Thank you again for tuning in. And until next time, you keep your faith on the journey. I'll see you soon, family.